Hey there and welcome to Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is September of 1969. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Rob Elliot Kalin is back on the show this week. Yes. I'm so oh. glad. Every time somebody returns, I'm like, we don't suck that bad. That's yeah. That's what I think. I, I, it, it's either that or it just his last appearance made so little of an impression on him that he doesn't remember <laughs> us or what he did here or the miserable time he had. Uh, but anyway, he came back. Uh, we're super flattered. Uh, if you have not been reading Elliot's uh, excellent slasher social commentary comic, Maniac of New York, uh, well, there's some good news. Uh, you are going to get a chance to pick up the trade paperback of the first five issues in just a few weeks, uh, which collects the first story arc. Um, and uh, I highly recommend that you do exactly that thing. Um, we are going to talk with Elliot about uh, Maniac of New York and uh, a bunch of comics uh, that Marvel published in September of 1969 in just a little bit. Uh, but before we do that, as we always do, we are going to provide a little historical context by talking about what else was happening in September of 1969. Take it away, Rob. All right. On the 1st of uh, September, 69, a bloodless coup d'etat ousted King Idris I of Libya. Not to be confused with Idris Elba, my my favorite. Um, and uh, replaced the monarchy with a 12-membered group of young officers who formed the Revolutionary Command Council. Um, the leader of the council was a 27-year-old Libyan army colonel, Muammar Gaddafi. Mm, young up-and-comer who I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about in the yes, years to come. Scared me, certainly, during my childhood. <laughs> personally. I mean, I didn't meet him personally, but he did threaten some stuff that scared me. You got any other uh, updates on uh, Enemies of America for us? Sure, sure. On the third, Ho Chi Minh, president of North Vietnam, died at the age of 79. Uh, radio broadcast from Hanoi the next day announced that Ho had died of a heart attack on Wednesday morning. Well, our condolences uh, to the uh, Ho Chi Minh family. I, is that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Do we do we offer condolences in that case? We were at war with him. I mean, we would have tried to kill him uh, had he not expired of a heart attack. So. We were actively trying to kill him every day at that point. I mean, but we weren't. Right. And maybe the people who run our country now weren't as interested in that. But I, I just don't, don't want anyone to accuse me of giving aid or comfort to the enemy. Well, so I, I don't know. I feel like you're already on that list for various reasons. You live in Portland, man. 
Yeah, I know, man. Uh, well, let's change the topic quickly uh, before the jackboots come for me. Uh, on the 13th of September, the iconic cartoon dog Scooby-Doo was introduced to Saturday morning television as part of a response by the three American TV networks to complaints that cartoons had become too violent after three years of superhero and adventure shows. <laughs> Hanna-Barbera co-producer Joseph Barbera told reporters that violence will be out of children's programming this fall and explained that Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? is a series about a chicken-hearted Great Dane, which along with four high school students solves tales of the supernatural. Um, I love this. I think on the last Omnibus episode we did, uh, our last episode that we released, uh, I believe Jamie referenced uh, Scooby-Doo debuting mm-hmm. this very year and lo and behold uh he was absolutely right so there you go got it in one jamie knows the scooby-doo history that's Nailed. why we pay him theoretically the big bucks were there any bucks at all uh, yeah. coming in yeah a percentage of a big buck if a big buck existed yes, yes. um so well we still have some lingering Beatles by the month uh, on September 20th, 69, at a meeting between the Beatles minus George Harrison and business manager Alan Klein, John Lennon announced his intention to quit the group, effectively bringing an end to the Fab Four. McCartney would recount later that he suggested possible future plans for the band, and Lennon, referring to his first wife, shouted, I want a divorce like the one I got from Cynthia. <laughs> he, he did say that. <laughs> uh, on September 20th. <laughs> I, I, I like that because it implies that Lennon thought that maybe Paul McCartney didn't know what a divorce was. <laughs> <laughs> I also love that. If, if you've ever been in a band for more than like three months, you understand that it is very much just like a marriage, only yep. more complex. It's a poly marriage. Um, yeah. Yep. So uh, on September 26th, six days later, the Beatles released the last album item that they had recorded together, which was their opus, Abbey Road, uh, with sales hyped by a false rumor that Paul McCartney had died. Uh, <laughs> That's a little editorializing. Yeah. Beatles fans debate whether Abbey Road, the last recorded before the group broke up, or Let It Be, largely finished but not released until April 1970, should be considered the final work of the group. There's even more debate among Beatles nerds, but essentially they recorded a lot of songs, but at this point they were they took a long time to finish recording um, because they were adding so many weird things and George Martin was just noodling with stuff. So... Uh, there are, you know, but this is Abbey Road is my favorite album ever. So um, at least they got that out the door. Yeah. Thanks. Do you, do you have uh, do you have a perspective on what you would consider the last Beatles album? Uh, I always consider it to be let it be just because it came out later and there was some work that happened later. Um, some of the stuff with uh, Paul and some of the stuff they were polishing um, like to let me down some of the things they did on the the rooftop show uh didn't come out on abbey road and came out later on let it be so i know they were still and i think don't let me down was one of the last songs they were really working on together so that's why i say but it you know it's arguable and apparently folks will argue it and we could talk about this for another 45 minutes but you know we do have things to do and elliot kalen to talk to so we should probably keep it moving well let's let's uh let's move on from uh your uh preferred side hobby um to my preferred side hobby of baseball 
uh, because on the 22nd of September, Willie Mays of the San Francisco Giants became the first Major League Baseball player since Babe Ruth to hit 600 career home runs. In the same game, this is another amazing milestone, Mays' teammate Bobby Bonds struck out for the 178th (laughs) time during the season, breaking the Major League Baseball record set by Dave Nicholson of the Chicago White Sox in 1963. So... Uh, Bobby was uh, a power hitter, and those guys are pretty all or nothing in their at-bats. So um, yeah. either it's going out of the park or it's just going straight into the catcher's mitt. Those kind of stats are what could sucker me into someday when I'm older um, being interested in sports ball. Um, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, on the on the 26th of September, The Brady Bunch, a situation comedy about a blended family, <laughs> was introduced as one of the new television shows on the ABC network in the United States. Brian, you had to put blended family in there. That just seems <laughs> so wrong. But anyway, syndicated TV columnist Dick Kleiner described it as having, quote, all the elements of trite and true television, a bunch of children, cute, and two parents, appealing, and a dog, lovable and a maid witty so uh the san francisco examiner commented the six kids and a dog and a cat and a maid an absurd absurd slapstick made the first show a shambles verdict too blamed precious and that's the last we heard of the brady bunch yeah apparently uh it was a little too lowbrow for the san francisco examiner but america loved it um so that's your glimpse into what was going on in the world in september of 1969 uh, hey, why don't you stick around and we will tell you all about the Marvel Comics of 1969 with Elliot Kalin right here on Marvel by the Month. Hey there, if you are listening to this episode of Marvel by the Month, there is a good chance that you are a fan of this week's guest, Mr. Elliot Kalin. Uh, if you want to hear an extra hour or so of Elliot on this episode, stop what you are doing right now. Go to patreon.com slash Marvel by the month and support us at the $4 a month level because that will give you access to our super secret Patreon subscriber bonus feed, which contains the extended edition of this episode and so much more. Yeah, we have put so much bonus content up on that feed in this year. Content like extended episodes with Tom Brevoort, Mike Allred, Chelsea Kane, Jordan Morris, Clint McElroy, and more. Uh, plus Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes with guests like DC veteran Paul Kupperberg and Miles Stokes of J.A. Miles Explain the X-Men. And best of all, Patreon supporters don't have to listen to us ask them for money every week. So that's a really good reason to stop right now and go there. Exactly. Uh, each and every week, Patreon subscribers get additional content that you can't hear anywhere else. Sign up at patreon.com slash month to instantly get access to all our past, present, and future subscriber-exclusive content. All right, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, our guest this week is one of the hosts of my favorite podcast, The Flop House. He's the former head writer of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and Mystery Science Theater 3000. He's also the writer of Marvel Comics Spider-Man and the X-Men and the creator and writer of Maniac of New York from Aftershock Comics. Elliot Kalen, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. 
Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm glad we're still still number one favorite podcast, The Flophouse. <laughs> I, really, I was worried we had fallen in the standings since then. <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. Uh, no, I, I mean, like it or not, uh, whether you want to take responsibility for this or not, uh, you guys are at least like 30 to 40% responsible for us doing this show. Yeah. 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 That's all. I'll, I'll take that. That's good. Um, <laughs> the... I'm uh, I'm ex- super excited to be back. I, l- I had such a good time uh, being on the show before and getting to talk in depth about the issues that um, I think the most fun is is looking at the comics where I wouldn't necessarily have read them. Yes. Uh, if not <laughs> for us talking about them. Uh, hint, hint. Submariner number 20. Uh, but but uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, super good to see you guys. I hope you're doing well. We are, yeah. we are, and and, uh, and congratulations on the success of Maniac of New York. Um, well, thank you very much. I mean, I assume it must be doing well because it is coming out as a trade paperback in October, so yep. that is awesome. Um, I'm going to be honest, I really don't know much about Maniac of New York, except it's about a steel town girl on a Saturday night looking for the fight of her life. <laughs> uh, but for our <laughs> listeners who might be in an elevator yes. right now, uh, <laughs> could you uh, could you pitch the general idea to them uh, before they reach the floor uh, that they are going to? Okay, I'll do my best. All right, so the base, the most basic elevator, I mean, you got the the best part, it's steel town, it's New York. So uh, is that <laughs> it, this? it's essentially... Um, uh, New York City, a, a masked, seemingly unkillable slasher. Uh, he may he bears no necessarily uh, legally liable reference. Uh, rep, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He doesn't. He's not. He's not the other famous masked slasher from the movies who <laughs> went to New York. But he is similar enough in some ways <laughs> uh, to give you an idea of what he is. Uh, in twenty New Year's Day, 2016, he suddenly appeared in New York and just. Uh, killed a ton of people in Times Square. It's became known as the Times Square Massacre. Everyone in America and government vowed to take down uh, who we, the guy became known as Maniac Harry. He was dubbed that by the press, the Maniac of New York. But it turned out to be very difficult to do. And over time, <laughs> the political will waned and people started getting distracted on other things and got complacent. And now it's four years later and it's just become a part of living in New York that every now and then this maniac shows up and kills a bunch of people and it might be you, but what do you get you? It's not going to stop you from going around, going about your business, you know? Uh, but it means that like, uh, on New York one, there's the rail and road and maniac report where they tell you what parts of the city has been cited in recently. Uh, we're introduced to two main characters, uh, Gina green, who is the new head of the maniac task force, uh, for the mayor's office. And she's also the only member of the task force and a detective Zelda Pettibone, who is a disgraced cop who has been put on the maniac beat as a punishment, basically. And the two of them, uh, inspired by Gina's, uh, at first mysterious drive to stop the maniac. Uh, they decide to take this seriously. And when the news comes out that the maniac has Shown has boarded a subway train and is killing his way through the train. They decide that they are going to try to stop him once and for all. Will they do it? Well, there's a second series coming out next year, so uh, <laughs> so let's just say they get close. Well, it's it's so weird to think that you know, like in a major metropolitan area, like something could happen that would just result in a bunch of deaths, uh, and people could get real, you know, gung ho about stopping it. Uh, but then it turns out it's hard and it's hard and it's complicated. Yeah. And why bother? You yeah. Know? yeah. Just, and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're interfering with people's personal choice. Yeah. And, you know, you're, like the that. odds are against it. Like, 
I mean, maybe slightly, but they're against it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, I, uh, it's it's unlikely. I did I, when the first issue came out. There was a review that was like, it just seems un, unlikely to me. It just I can't believe it's happened. You know that this would happen, and it's like. I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, yeah. how to, you know, it's when I was writing this, it seemed <laughs> unlikely to me too. Uh, <laughs> the art on the book is by uh, Andrea Moody, and uh, I always think I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, who and his art is gorgeous. I love his facial expressions, especially uh, and the way he colors things. And it, uh, I was very excited to see that people really liked the the book when the first series came out, and the that trade paperback collecting those five issues is coming out in October, and then there's going to be a second four issue series next year. Uh, and hopefully there'll be more after that if people keep buying it as we live in a commercial entertainment industry. So, you know, um, it's an idea that had been bouncing around in my head for years and it was just very satisfying to get it out in a way that felt like I was doing the idea justice in the way I want to do it and that people responded to it so strongly. It was just, it was something to be thankful for, you know, that, (laughs) and that other people were interested in my vision of just murder in new york which <laughs> considering it's this it's the city i love more than any other and like it's it's strange that i want to see part of it killed but you know, yeah, you know that's love i guess <laughs> yeah it's tough Rob, would you like to tell us what our X-Men were up to uh, sure. in this month? Yeah, the the wonderful Neil Adams run that saved them for reprints for a bit. Um, <laughs> this is uh, this one's X-Men number 62 called Strangers in a Savage Land. Um, written by Roy Thomas, art by Neil Adams and Tom Palmer. Tom Palmer. Uh, this issue picks up right where the previous issue left off. Dr. Carl Lycos, also known as Sauron, has thrown himself off of a cliff uh, in the opposite of a cliffhanger that we talked about, <laughs> about with Tom Brevoort. Uh, thro- throws himself off a cliff on uh, the Antarctic island of Tierra del Fuego. Elliot, you have some history with Sauron in the Savage Land, do you not? <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I was I was very lucky to have been able to use Sauron in uh, in uh, Spider Man and the X Men number one and two, a book I wrote for Marvel, uh, and one panel from uh, from issue two of that uh, was turned into a very popular meme that has been used to describe any time a billionaire spends money on a rocket ship instead <laughs> instead of <laughs> feeding people uh, or helping the planet in any way. Um, but I like, I'm, I, the only, the only disappointment I had in having 62 and to to look at instead of the last one is I love Sauron. I just love him as a character. I think the, I I remember when I was first getting into comics through the, through the portal of Marvel universe series, two trading cards set in what was that? Like 92, I guess, or 91, the, uh, seeing the Sauron card and just loving this, like pteranodon man and reading about how he's an energy vampire and i was like this is amazing like this is a, i love <laughs> i love everything about this character and he's such a strange x-men villain because and i guess they tie him to it because he can feast on havoc's mutant energies in the previous issues but like mm-hmm. he's not a mutant even though because he's an x-men villain he's now been in like the brotherhood of evil mutants and weapon x and stuff like that he's not a he's not a mutant he's just one guy so you think a team should be able to take him pretty easily but he's consistently just more powerful than you'd think a pteranodon man with hypnovision who's an energy vampire can be. So, <laughs> yeah. And I, and I just love that he's, he's a, he, Carl Lycos and Sauron 
it's like a dinosaur version of the Hulk. They are two different personalities sharing the same body. And Carl Lycos does not like turning into the into Sauron. And it's if and you have me at dinosaur version of the Hulk, basically. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ironically, Stegron, the dinosaur man, who is also a dinosaur version of the Hulk, doesn't do it for me. But what are you going to do? You know. <laughs> Well, he's not named after a Tolkien villain. So. Yeah, that's yeah. the heart of it. Yeah, or, or character. Yeah, they call him Bombadil, the dinosaur man. Sure, yeah. <laughs> one of the padaps for that one. Um, okay, <laughs> so the story. This story opens with Angel, uh, who is hypnotized. Who last issue was hypnotized by Sauron, and he's recuperating at the X Mansion. Um, but he's being menaced by a pack of presumably non-wear, non-hypnotic, non-energy draining. <laughs> Terry and Um uh, Then we flash back as Angel crashes to the ground and is pronounced dead by a frog creature named Amphibious and a kindly old white haired gentleman who's wearing some sort of cyber harness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nothing sinister or mysterious about him. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of the X Men are fighting off a Tyrannosaurus Rex and their melee is interrupted by Kazar. Um, Kazar is not happy to see them and he's really not happy that they're beating up his local fauna. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kazar is such an interesting character. I mean, he's, he's obviously, you know, he's Tarzan with the serial number filed off. Um, and, only you know, kind of half filed off because Kazar and Tarzan are, are like about as close <laughs> as the names can get. Yeah, <laughs> unless you're gonna call him Tarzo, like it's <laughs> Tazan. No, yeah, Tazan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm Narazd. Okay, really? Is that? Uh, yeah. They. I, I mean, I think Beast makes a joke at his expense here too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, calling him a knockoff Tarzan. <laughs> yep. Um, Which is a little on the nose, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so Kazar and a saber tooth tiger Zabu get the X Men to back off. Uh, then we see that he's tracking some swamp dwellers who kidnapped a water person. Um, Kazar roughs them up, but is taken down by their leader, who has some <laughs> sort of vertigo powers. I feel like we're just naming pharmaceuticals right now. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, the X-Men jump into, uh, to save him, but then it's a smash cut to the white haired gent who rescued the mostly <laughs> dead angel and he's placed into a cryogenic unit. It's the moment of truth and angel rises from the machine alive. And for the first time in a good looking costume for that is also, yeah. Yeah. No more suspenders, no more, uh, generic uh blue and yellow costume he had something some other terrible costume he's never had a good costume suspenders are the worst thing for a person with wings like yeah think of the chafing yeah that doesn't work at all and my my son and i had a good good laughs when we were reading those issues about how he just (laughs) except for the if you take away his mask he just looks like a guy wearing pants and suspenders like he's just (laughs) he he just looks like a dude who just like you know just walking around and he threw a mask on but yep yep it's it's weird i wonder you'd think angel is such a like his power is so basic and mythic a concept like Mm. people have been dreaming about men with wings for you know thousands of years and it's it's bizarre to me that his his best costumes are the one that appears here where it's which is not amazing and his archangel costume which basically looks like workout gear like it looks like aerobics spandex <laughs> yeah and other than that like he just he just can't I don't know what it is about Warren Worthington the third I guess he's so rich that nobody can tell him not to not to dress in terrible costumes <laughs> yeah he, he doesn't have to take advice from anyone yeah uh and, and they've they've tried to even at this point they have tried to like spin him off as a solo character sort of um mm-hmm. but it's just like no one's biting 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, he's just a grown up Cupid. Um, yep. <laughs> so that's when. I mean, uh, honestly, if the book was called Angel, Grown Up Cupid, and he was, it was a romance comic, <laughs> people might have been more great. interested in it. Yeah. yeah. It's worth a shot. <laughs> it's not too late. Um, so. That this is when Equilibria stumbles into the chamber with the uh, right as Angel is resurrected with a cool costume, um, but the other X Men are in hot pursuit. So the X Men and Kazar encounter a golem like character named the Piper, who plays a tune and sicks some kind of fire drake on them. Uh, while the X Men fight the dragon, Kazar knocks out the Piper, and the dragon slithers away. Uh, this was all a crazy. I felt like. I was just suddenly on, you know, I got dosed in the middle of reading this comic book, yep. which was already pretty weird. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. They pack so much stuff, so many weird things in this comic. I mean, it's implied. I thought, and I thought it was implied that because Kazar killed the Piper. He like squishes his forehead or like drives his thumb into his forehead. Right? Yeah, and, his, yeah, and the, knocks and his, the pipe right into his mouth. Too. Yeah. yeah. So it's like the, but and it's done in a, in a mostly silent sequence, or I guess it's all silent, that fight. So yeah. it's like, it's uh, Neil Adams being like, hey, 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 Roy back off like let me <laughs> let me show you let me do it let me do it uh but anyway I'll, i've got so many i've got other thoughts about this issue i'll let you finish it we're almost oh up, yeah almost okay up, yeah up we're up almost to the so they're fighting this this giant dragon it slithers slithers away once the piper uh has been smashed then angel's benefactor is explaining that he's been seeking out mutants among the tribes of the savage land and angel says like a stone age professor x and this guy says, never heard of him. Uh, <laughs> Which is weird because early on he's like, the X-Men are here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knows everybody, just doesn't know this Professor X. How mysterious. <laughs> uh, Angel says he'll find the X-Men and call them off as sort of repayment for resurrecting him. Right. And he flies off. And that's when the old white-haired gentleman opens a secret chamber to reveal the helmet of Magneto. Yeah. Uh, so which, which is like, like going back and, and reading this in, in 2021, like that was obvious from the minute he shows up is like, this is clearly Magneto. Uh, but I think this is the very first time we've ever seen Magneto without the giant helmet. So it's like, you have no idea who he is, you know, or what he looks like under that. Um, and to their credit, Marvel didn't spoil the reveal on the cover like they do in <laughs> almost every page. other issue. Yeah. It's either the cover <laughs> yeah. or the first page when yeah, you open yeah. it. Yeah. And I I mean, I'm a I love this reveal. I think it's really smart of whoever came with the idea of Roy or whoever that it's like, oh, we've never seen this character without his helmet on. We don't know what color hair he has. Yeah. So we can really play this. The char- with ca- the characters won't recognize him. The audience won't recognize him. Because you're right. The minute he walks on now, you're like, what's Magneto doing there? And also, <laughs> the, like, at the but I think it's a really, it's a cool way of using, you know, Roy Thomas was, was Mr. Continuity Boy. And so, like, that he was able to, like, use continuity that way and be like, hmm, I know, we've never seen Magneto without his helmet off. You know, without his helmet on, what's, what's that look like? Uh, the thing that I wish that I like, despite myself about this issue is his team of Savage Land mutates. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny that they introduce so many new characters in this. And yet the cover has Kazar and it's like, yeah. uh, why not put the Frogman on the cover? Why not put like that they're against a team of caveman mutants on the cover? Like that's more yeah. interesting than Kazar, but maybe it's what Neil Adams wanted to draw. I don't know. But, uh, the, but that they have if amphibious and equilibrium, and then later on they're just Magneto's just quickly like, and there's Gaza and, and Brainchild and all these other ones too. Like <laughs> he's got a whole a whole bunch of them, and unfortunately, and I really I like it, but it's uh, 
against against myself because they're like these the Savage Land mutate characters. They come back, you know, throughout the years with very diminishing returns each time. They're never <laughs> that that interesting a bunch of characters. But yeah. uh, it's unfortunately, I think this is the issue that Chris Claremont read, where he was like, "Oh." Whenever I want, I can just introduce a whole team of characters who all have their own names and powers, and I'll have them introduce themselves and their powers. And it, it's I recently reread and, and read, because there were parts of it I had never read before, his whole run of Uncanny X-Men. And mm-hmm. the number of times he's like, here's seven new characters, and they're all going to tell you their names. And there's the yeah. one where the storyline where it's just a bunch of brood took over people, but each of the brood has their own powers. And they're like, I'm blockbuster. I hit like a brick. And it's like, I'm never going to see you again. Don't give him a name. Like, what are you- <laughs> You're wasting my time. Blockbuster. <laughs> no, he's <laughs> creating IP. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, but I think uh, it, it's the same situation in both cases. Like here you have Neil Adams, like Claremont had, you know, he, he had Dave Cockrum or whoever, you know, just like dumping out their sketchbook. And it's yeah. like, well, here's all my character concepts, um, you know, that I came up with this month and I will have another <laughs> giant batch of them next month. Um, so might as well use them. Um, I think the brainchild, though, is by far the most ridiculous uh, brainchild with a computer like mind and the emotions of an infant. That's 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 brainchild. Yep. That yep. sounds like a recipe for hilarity. But yeah, uh, he should have yeah. his own solo series. <laughs> this is an issue where you can really there's so much going on. And yet the whole time they're like, mm, they really don't know what to do with these X-Men still do. They? Yeah. yeah. Like uh, the first. What is it like? 70 some odd issues of the book or is, is or 60 some odd issues of the book. Is this them like kind of trying one thing after another to try to mm-hmm. figure out what to do with them? And it's and it's it's so funny to me that it, it took them until. It took them decades to be like, oh, it's a school. Like, <laughs> we set up that it's a school, but we never really treat it like a school. Oh, right, okay, right. we'll do that. You yeah. Know. Yep. Let's dust that concept off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they they figure it out after 15 years. So, yeah. Yeah. And one pretty much cancellation. Yep. You know? uh, yep. Pretty much. The art in this, though, looks beautiful. I mean, as of course it does, because it's Neil Adams. You know, it's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, we've been feasting since we hit this period. You know, as as we're just going along week by week, there was some, like, Barry Windsor Smith shows up and doesn't do a great job the first time, but I think they gave him maybe five minutes um, to do an issue uh, of Daredevil. But, yeah, it's mm-hmm. like um, this this was, like, mind-blowing to see after all of the things we've seen. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, like, like Neil Adams shows up, it's like a bomb going off and then you see every other artist in the bullpen immediately elevating their game. Um, yeah. I mean, Steranko had this effect also, but, uh, but yeah, he's just one of those like evolutionary points of, of comics artists. Yeah. yeah. Neil Adams comes in in the middle of that living monolith storyline. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And that yep. like comparing the issue before him to the issue he's up and it shows you that like the, that like the art, can elevate the writing in yeah. a way that it, that like there's that there's that Jim Stranko X-Men issue with Mesmero where there's almost no plot but like yeah. it lo- the design in it looks so cool but I was um my my current X-Men rereading thing is I've been re- reading I or not rereading reading it that most of the New Mutants run I'd never read and mm-hmm. so I've been reading that through and I'm now just in the beginning of the Rob Liefeld era and it is amazing how <laughs> like the same the same writer is on it and yet the books are just like not they don't work the same way, you know, yeah. as they did when it was Louis Simonson and, and um, what uh, is it, Brett Blevins, who's on it for a long mm-hmm. time, yeah, and mm-hmm. and like, and I was the book was really getting into it into this really 
like great groove. And then Liefeld comes in and it's like, okay, the story's like the dialogue doesn't make sense anymore. The stories don't make sense anymore. Like the way that art and, and writing in a comic book work together to make something that's greater than either of them is, yeah. is a very magical thing, I guess. That's the positive aspect of it. It's a magical combination when it works. You know? Yeah. <laughs> when it doesn't, it's obviously at odds. Yep. It's like, yeah. well, I think they're having a conversation, but they look like they're posing. That's just everything <laughs> yeah. looks like they're posing. Why are they facing each other? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, on that note, uh, let's take our first break of the episode. Uh, and when we come back, we've got more funny books to talk about uh, from September of 1969, right here on Marvel by the Month. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's talk about Captain America. This is Cap number 120. Um, it's called Crack Up on Campus. Uh, <laughs> it's written by Stan Lee, art by Gene Colan, and Joe Sinnott doing the finishes. Uh, and in case you need a reminder, Stan Lee's been spending an awful lot of time on college campuses in the last <laughs> couple of years. So uh, this, is, this is Stan's, you know, eyewitness, you know, boots on the ground account of campus life yeah. in 1969. As... as filtered through Stan's brain. I can't wait to show this to my dad and be like, was this what it was like when you were at college? He's going to say, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so let's get into this. The The story begins with Cap and Falcon shaking hands and parting ways in Harlem after not actually defeating the Red Skull last issue. I think MODOK <laughs> did that. Yep. Uh, so Cap decides that he's going to try and find Sharon Carter, of course, who, if you remember the last time he saw her, he broke up with after she refused to quit her career for him. Because um, Stan's <laughs> writing of female characters is very sophisticated. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just cutting edge progressive. Yep. So uh, Cap it's goes so to It's so ridiculous because shield... it seems like a no brainer that he'd want to be in a relationship with somebody who can put, who can who can follow him in the adventures and like, or go where he can follow in adventures, like that they can work together, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. He's not, very old fashioned. Not in the, in the, the liberal world of 1969 Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so cap goes to shields secret headquarters, takes a ride in the hydraulic barber chair. Uh, instead of finding Sharon, he finds Nick Fury, who tricks Cap into sitting in a hypnotic slumber seat <laughs> to get to get him to to take oh, on boy. a new mission. Yeah, <laughs> to get him to dream of a want ad in the newspaper <laughs> that he can then apply for at a college where there are spies. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So Cap, because <laughs> he couldn't say, "Hey, Cap, we want you to apply for this job so you can infiltrate and figure out what's going on at this college." Yeah, it's like no. No, he might say no. So let's remove any agency or, from or him. Stan's it, like, that's it, not, it's not astounding enough. It's not <laughs> enough of a mesmerizing, mystifying Marvel moment if he just talks to him. We'll put him in a hypno chair. And <laughs> or either that or, I mean, you never know with these older comics. He may have said to, to, to Gene, like, Captain America goes to Nick Fury and Nick Fury gives him this job. And Gene Cullen was like, mm, I'll have him do it in a, in a crazy way, in a hypno chair. That way yep. I can draw this kind of dream Fantasia splash page, splash page. And that'll eat up enough pages that I have to really cram in the end of the story in the last couple of pages. <laughs> it's very it on brand for Gene Cullen. Gene yeah. Cullen's oh, pacing yeah. is always. And I, yeah. and I love Gene Cullen so much. Like I'm mm -hmm. such a big fan of his art. And yep. my big regret, one of my big regrets is that I'm, I met him at a, New York comic con years ago. And I regret I did not buy a sketch from him. Like I really wish I had, but he, he was I, he was a really like I love his art and he was very he was a very sweet man when I talked to him so like he was yes. I remember he said to me he was like he's like you're a creative person aren't you and I was like yeah yeah which at the time I was like he noticed but I'm sure everyone there is you know he's like 
He's like, stick with it. You gotta stick with it. You've gotta do. You've gotta do the thing that makes you that satisfies you and makes you happy. Then you'll be happy. Oh. And I was like, okay, yeah, I will. And like, it was good advice. Like, it really it stuck with me for a long time. So, but I and then I wish I'd I had paid to buy like a, a Daredevil head or a Captain America head because that's what he was yeah. selling at the time. But oh man, uh, yeah. Only my Gene Cullen moment was uh, at a there was a comics exhibition in Vermont uh, where I grew up and. Uh, Dave Sim introduced me to him. Uh, really? So I have I have very conflicted feelings <laughs> about that. <laughs> but uh, Gene Cullen was very nice, and and at the time Dave Sim was also a, a nice person who had not gone off the rails yet. So uh, okay. yeah, so he had he hadn't yet started confusing characters he created with actual people who have wronged him at some yeah, point. Correct. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh man. Okay, back back to <laughs> back to Cap. Sorry he's, to derail. He's been yeah. sleep slumber hypno chaired to uh, signing up to be a gym teacher at Manning College, uh, which does seem gym teacher seems like a pretty good. It's either history yeah. or gym if you've mm-hmm. got Cap. Yep. So, um, I mean, mainly World War II history. Right. So, right. So, uh, so Cap heads to Manning College and immediately grumbles about a protest rally as soon as he arrives. Um, <laughs> And Cap intervenes to protect a professor, but then he shows he's a cool guy by asking if the prof had ever tried listening to what the students were after. Um, The professor turns out to be Paul Fosgrave, the top authority on atomic equations. Uh, Yeah, he's a a mathematician. Yes. Uh, Not a physicist, not a biochemist or anything like that. But only atomic math. Only atomic math. Yeah. So Fosgrave insists that he doesn't know why he was targeted, but Cap is suspicious. Uh, any- <laughs> anyway, Cap is the first blonde white guy to interview, so he gets the job instantly. Also, he looks like Captain America. Which yeah, helps. I, that's, yeah, that's who you're going to hire for your yeah. athletic yeah. director. It's just amazing, yeah. though, because he goes to interview and goes, well, you're the first person to apply for the job, so you have it. Like, what kind yeah. of college yeah. is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a gym teacher. It sounds like a liberal arts college to yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> he's really a facilities manager. Is really what he's <laughs> yeah. doing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he learns that Mart Baker, the big student leader on campus, has turned into something of a rabble rouser lately. Baker is completely unreasonable at a protest rally, even getting into uh, even getting into it with his fellow student protesters. He's being egged on by a bald guy and a hairy dude <laughs> named Grizzly. <laughs> 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 so a huge fight breaks out between the students and Cap intervenes. Yep. But who's behind it all? Well, uh, it could only be our favorite supporting character, <laughs> Modoc, uh, and his AIM legions, because uh, they've been hypnotizing the students. Yep. A lot mm-hmm. of hypnosis and, and mind messery in this issue. Yeah. I didn't even think about back. that. And it's like there's a... It's like there maybe there's a deeper level to this. Maybe Stan's playing a more a cleverer game than I thought. In that he's take it looks like this story where it's like a fairly middle of the road semi liberal being like, hmm, you know, I don't approve of this. I don't approve of these these angry protesters, but also the system could be a little nicer. Why can't they go through the proper channels to deal with these <laughs> things and like and not really getting it? But then what if he's playing? If that's just a a, a blind. For his real story, which is about both the forces of supposed good of the government and the forces of supposed evil, Modoc and AIM, using the same methods and at forcing us to question who really is good or bad, are, are those t- either categories too narrow to really categorize them or 
Is it possible there's just two sides of a dirty coin that a new society is going to have to throw away? That's a terrible metaphor. You don't throw away coins, but you know <laughs> when, they, when they get dirty. But you know what I mean. I wonder, I wonder maybe maybe he's uh, maybe this maybe this story is a little more Thomas Pynchon and like uh, Robert Anton Wilson than I thought it was. There you go. And I, if you think about mm-hmm. Stan's background in you know basically propaganda, in, yep, <laughs> in his service yeah. time, uh, it, it makes sense that he understands. You know, people can be manipulated. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if Stan has been spending this much time on college campuses over the late 60s, he had to have gotten high at least once. So maybe his mind has been expanded. <laughs> maybe he's reading countercultural literature now. Thinking of talking to I love high the idea. Stan Lee. Yeah. I, I, how would you be able to tell? I don't know. <laughs> it sounds less like he did cocaine and more like he's high. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um He's, he's st- he starts giving other people credit for things. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you want, man? What's going on? <laughs> so uh, Modoc orders his two agents to capture Professor Fosgrave and make it look like rioters did it. Uh, Cap sees them doing it, immediately recognizes their weapons as aim weapons because Cap, you know, it's Cap. Mm-hmm. keeps a log of these things yeah. it's um, a foolish oversight on the part of aim that they didn't they didn't give them just regular guns you know? yeah right. or disguise their weapons yeah <laughs> so cap and mart work together to rescue fosgrave and all is forgiven between the administration and mart mart i i was not able to get past the fact that the student leader's name was mart I yeah, do, I, it just, yeah. I, I guess that's short for it's supposed to be short for Martin or something. It's also weird that I mean, there was a, a very famous uh, comic book artist in the 40s and 50s named Matt Baker who did work for Timely. He worked for Stan uh, hmm. and he was also one of the first and only black comics artists. Um, so just the fact that, that this weird made up name that's so close to the name of someone who actually was well known in the comics industry would mm-hmm. get I used just kept thinking character. of Martin. Goodman. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe it's um, a Martin Goodman thing. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, just Marty. Come on. Uh, yeah, but, yeah I'm going I'm uh, to chalk it up to, I'm going to chalk it up to Stan not spending a lot of time on it and just picking a name out of his head that <laughs> he probably Mart. heard before. <laughs> or he met somebody named Bart, you know, when he was on a college campus. <laughs> and he and misheard he, it and thought they were named Mart. <laughs> and the guy was like, I, he keeps calling me Mart, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to correct him. This is Stan Lee. <laughs> So, yeah, this whole thing just wraps up with Cap basically, you know, uh, defeating AIM but quitting his possibly lucrative job as a gym teacher at Manning College. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yep. I wish away. the last panel the last panel was the dean going like, now I've got to interview another applicant. Like, he's so mad. <laughs> uh, it's a tough job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just the door opens. You're hired. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, uh, so th- that's uh, what was going on with Captain America. Uh, I'm going to take us uh, through uh, what was happening with Captain Marvel this month. Um, and this one was a strange one. Um, <laughs> but uh, there is some historical relevance to it, like comics history, um, that I think is interesting. But uh, it is a very uh, strange story. Um yeah, I don't know. We'll just talk through it. Uh, so this one is called... Uh, <laughs> Let's talk it out. Yeah. Let's process it. Let's process Let's it. Process I mean, there I, are, it's, yeah. it's like there, there are two tiers of Marvel comics at this time. They're the they're like top line ones where you're like, that's a Marvel comic. And they're the ones that kind of feel like the Marvel comics that you would get from like a generic store like or like <laughs> under the counter. Like the, the Marvel comics that Marvel was making that are kind of like 
not for America. Like they're for yeah, the other yeah. places and they're a little <laughs> weirder and they don't quite work. And like, that's what this one feels like. Yeah. It yeah. didn't translate. It, it, they wrote it for a whole different continent in a different language. When they put it back to English, it just doesn't work at all. Yeah. It just yeah. doesn't quite. And the, and, uh, and the art in this, it's, it's Gil Kane, right? And it yeah. like, mm-hmm. it yeah. looks, there are parts of it that look gorgeous, but it looks like strange, like off, you know, in a way yes. that yeah. Gene Colan's art, it always seemed like a weird fit for the stuff he was doing a lot of time because his art is so wispy and his characters are so like torment. Like it's like putting El Greco on a, on a Marvel <laughs> superhero book. Like the yeah. characters are all like these, these strange elongated forms, but, uh, but it still has like a marvel look. Whereas Gil Kane has almost like, um, in this book, at least it's like an EC look almost like it feels yeah. like Captain Marvel fell into an EC comic, which is, which is strange. Yeah, yes. everything like especially when Gil Kane draws an animal. Like we, there was the weirdest <laughs> dog, uh, an issue or two ago. Yeah, like a, a, it was terrifying. Um, but the I think that he's just not doing DC, and they're like, go ahead and go crazy and try to you know maybe do some Steranko like stuff. And he's like, yeah. okay, I'll just I'll do whatever. Yeah, I mean that was that was one of the things that I mean Marvel didn't pay as well as DC at this point, uh, but. They really... they still don't. I mean, between oh, me real, and you yeah. and the listeners, in my in my case anyway, I love both yeah. companies. I love both sure, companies, sure. but uh, yeah, that's one of them. One of them's got a, maybe now that Marvel has Disney pockets. I've never, I, I, haven't, <laughs> yeah. I haven't I haven't really done anything for them s- since they got Disney pockets, but <laughs> since DC has Time Warner pockets. But anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think one of the reasons that I mean, there were a couple of reasons why folks would you know jump from dc to marvel uh the first is that dc had just done like a a massive house clearing um and and got rid of a lot of uh their longtime writers and artists the other is that marvel for like as much as it kind of has a reputation for having a house style there actually is a tremendous breadth of like just kind of do your thing you know Mm -hmm. uh, uh and and you see a lot of different art styles uh across marvel whereas dc is much more buttoned up you know it's much more rigid um looks a little like very still even in the 60s looks a little golden agey so do you think do you i wonder do you think um kirby for the first you know what half decade had been kind of like the marvel house style in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways do you think as he kind of like was pulling away from the company were they making an effort or was were they like maybe we shouldn't tie ourselves just to his style quite as much, or maybe it was the personalities, maybe it's because, uh, you know, there were other editors and things like that, but it, it, it feels yeah. like they're, they're breaking out of that style and, and allowing different artists to try different things. That's a really good question. Uh, the two things that I think might have something to do with it is in, in the first half decade or so, Kirby was doing layouts for almost everyone. So mm-hmm. like a lot of folks were literally working over Kirby's layouts. So, that's what made it, you know, even Starenko's first yeah. issues on. Oh, know, really? I didn't realize yeah. that. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Um, and then, you know, on top of that also, like, I mean, Stan Lee was weirdly the de facto art director for Marvel um, at this point. So, but as he was spending less time in the office and, you know, like, especially after Martin Goodman sold the company and Stan's kind of more of a figurehead. And um, I think he's not nearly as hands on anymore. So I think there is just like a, you know, it's a yeah. lot looser. Ramito was supposed to be yeah. <laughs> doing the layouts, but I think he sort of let Gene, Gene Colin for sure do whatever he wanted. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then uh, it looks like Gil Kane coming on. That might've been part of the agreement. You're going to hand me Captain Marvel, who is the very much lesser captain of yeah. Marvel. Like, I invented Green Lantern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and also, I mean, so Cat- this issue of Captain Marvel is the last issue that we're going to get for six months. It goes on hiatus after this. So um, they're really just sort of like, eh, do whatever you feel like doing. Um, <laughs> and so uh, this one's called Mad Master of the Murder Maze. Uh, it's written by Roy Thomas. The art is by Gil Kane. Uh, inked by Dan Adkins. Uh, the story, this story is by Gil Kane also. Um, so uh, Roy Thomas has said that. So um, so here's the story so far. Um, Captain Marvel recently suckered Rick Jones into putting on a pair of nega bands, which caused him to switch places with Marvel in the negative zone. Um, and Marvel does, uh, Marvel does not feel bad about that. Um, uh, in the last issue, Marvel squared off against his nemesis, Jan Rog, and Rick is still feeling poorly from that. Um, Rick knocks the negabands together and we get another hilarious Gil Kane attempt at drawing an animal. Uh, on page two, there is a cat leaping, uh, off of a trash can that just looks like it's been reanimated or something. Yeah. It's going to haunt my dream nightmares. Um, yeah. I mean, it would haunt my dreams. I don't know. It seems like it will haunt my dreams into nightmares. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you get away with words. <laughs> there's, there's a, I guess we'll get to it, but the, his other animal moment that sticks out to me is later on, uh, Rick thinks he's seeing an enormous rat and he goes, a yes. rat the size of a tiger. But, but Kane draws it from such a low angle that it just looks like a normal rat in the foreground <laughs> and Rick yes. in the background. So when you're looking at it, you're like, oh, it's a regular sized rat. Like, I don't know what, like, it's it's a strange choice to make when you're trying to show what a giant rat it is. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it, 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 this story, it's a slow starter. Um, it meanders for a while. Uh, then Rick just, he decides he needs a job um, and he strikes out everywhere until he heads to the Minos Towers on the Lower East Side, uh, where Cornelius Webb, a super weird landlord and sociologist, offers Rick a free apartment and a vague promise of a job. He's like, eh, we'll figure something out. Um, Rick accepts immediately because if there's one thing that we know about Rick Jones, uh, he just has the worst judgment in the Marvel Universe. Um, I have to say one thing here. It, it, It looks like Rick is introducing himself to an apartment complex <laughs> and uh and then he is suddenly whipped like the a manhole cover that he's standing on with oh, no right. rails no right. safety just goes down a tube into the ground and that's how he meets this guy and so it's the, all weird it's weird and the way that Gilkane draws it for a second i thought the guy was huge and he was pulling the the manhole down with his hand and rick was <laughs> yeah. tiny and it's there's a it's a, there's so much about this where Rick should have been like, this is not a good situation to be yeah. like yep. he, this guy is so obviously a, a, a mad scientist, you know? <laughs> yeah. Rick has no stranger danger. Sense. Yeah. He's, he just yeah. says as the manhole cover goes down into the street and he sees this guy in a lab. Fantastic. He's just, <laughs> he's rolls with it. He's a yes. And guy. Yeah, he is. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so he, he gets a place to live. He gets the vague promise of a job. Um, and he makes plenty of new friends, uh, including a kindly old Jewish man, uh, named Jacob Weiss, uh, who the first thing we see him do is offer to make Rick a gefilte fish dinner. Um, so just in case there's any question, he's Jewish. It just, and uh, also the, the idea that like, I mean, who, I mean, gefilte fish, like you'll have as part of a meal, but like. That's the, that's never, that's never the, the center of it. Like it's never like, <laughs> at least offer him soup. Like that's the. Yeah. It's, that's not bringing the folks in. Um, <laughs> and Gil, and Gil Kane, I assume was Jewish. 
Gilkin, right. yeah, he he was Jewish. Roy Thomas is not. Um, that's why I wanted to mention at the top of it, like this is a story that Gil Kane really wanted to tell. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it has some strange twists and turns. It, it, he, there's a thing he's trying to get across in here um, that it's, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how to evaluate like how successful he was at it, but um, he had a point he wanted to make. Um, and this is, this is his story. So, <laughs> So there we go. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, Rick is uh, he's he's reading uh, one of Cornelius Webb's sociology books one night. He hears a neighbor scream. Uh, he switches places with Captain Marvel uh, to have him check it out, uh, which is a rare moment of good judgment on Rick's part. Um, the neighbor says that they saw giant winged monsters uh, vanishes before Marvel arrives, uh, and then we see Cornelius Webb watching everything on monitors. So if his creepy attitude. And collection of rat mazes didn't convince you that he was the bad guy. Uh, this should pretty much do it. Um, and then over the next few days, we see the tenants. Uh, they're starting to see things. They're getting suspicious of each other. Um, <laughs> Rick argues with Marvell. Uh, he says, no, Webb's a good guy. He's totally innocent of everything. Uh, <laughs> Give me this sweet pad. Come on, Minos Towers. <laughs> Because he's a terrible judge of character. Uh, and then he hallucinates the aforementioned giant rat, uh, which vanishes when Marvel attacks it. Um, the other tenants are hallucinating smoke and fire and flooding and walls closing in. They all start blaming Marvel for this. Um, and that this is the point where uh, Mr. Weiss comes back in and he compares the bewildered tenants to concentration camp inmates, uh, of which he was one. Um, so all of a sudden, this like, kind of like silly bonkers story just takes like a real turn yeah in a way that it's it's a little i kept thinking and this is it's okay i can say this i'm jewish they, i kept yeah. thinking that like uh the the way that there was that uh that old spider-man issue that was like tribute to teens and it was just because it was all in a took place <laughs> yeah. in, in the high school this it's like you might as well on the captain marvel in the front be like tribute to holocaust survivors it's like not it's yeah. it kind of it by the end of it, you're like, okay, I see where he was going to tie this in with the story, but it's right. a very – this is not B. Krigstein's The Master Race when it comes to <laughs> comics dealing with uh, dealing with the trauma of of the, the 20th century, you know. But he means well, and I and it feels like that I would – I bet – like I wouldn't be surprised as like Gil Kane, not knowing much about him personally, that like being Jewish, working in an industry where a lot of the people are Jewish, that like he felt that there was probably – this was – and this was on his – mind or conscious at conscience and like that he needed to say something about i mean he was i assume of the generation that was young when when the holocaust happened and it probably mm-hmm. had a big impact on him i'm sure so like it makes sense to me in a lot of ways why he would want to do it but it's such a strain it's i guess that's the exciting thing about comic books of the time is like why would an issue of captain marvel be be the right medium to say anything <laughs> about the nature of humanity or the the trauma of the holocaust but like that's you gotta you gotta play the instrument you got in your hands i guess at the yeah. moment you know yeah on, on page 19 of 20 yep. yeah <laughs> that's, that's true. Like, like it's not like it's threaded through the story or hinted at in other ways it's just that's the payoff you know yeah. at that point so yeah um yeah and and so that's you know in, in case again in case you didn't think Cornelius Webb was the bad guy it's like now he's a literal literally being compared compared to someone running a concentration camp mm-hmm. so um yeah the, the stakes have been raised uh, can you can you imagine you're a kid like yeah. you're what 7 8 years old 9 years old and you pick up you're like oh the other books are all 
I, 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 they're all be bought. There's only Captain Marvel on the stands. I guess I'll pick that up. And you read this line where he says, he goes, uh, he goes, you speak from the depths of your soul, old man, as though, and he goes, Auschwitz, 1945. Is that what you wanted to know? I was one of the unlucky ones. I survived. And it's like, that you're a kid, that you'd be like, wait, what? What is what am I reading? Hold on. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted well, to read about the murder maze. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I honestly, I almost wonder if one of the reasons that Gil Kane wanted to tell this story was because he wanted to make sure that there were 12 year olds out there who knew what the Holocaust was yeah. and, and, and that it happened. you know, um, it, this is children's entertainment, you know, this, that's the demographic. Um, so, uh, I mean, you know, Marvel, they had a reputation for being more sophisticated and having a college audience and, and all of that. But you know, mm-hmm. it was also like, he knew he was doing books for kids. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, it turns out Cornelius Webb's whole Minos Towers scheme uh, was uh, he 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 filled it with tenants of of uh, all sorts of ethnic groups and ages and income brackets, uh, so that he could torture them and write a book about it. And he seemed to think that was going to better humanity in some way. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I think it's it's funny because he's like he's like now I'll make I'll make a fortune off this book. To enjoy in South America, of course. Like he, yeah. like he knows he's going to have to flee, and he's going to flee to where the Nazis fleed. You know, right? So yeah. Fled <laughs> right, exactly. where the Nazis fled. There's no yeah. word as fleed. That's not a word. <laughs> <laughs> Marvell is overcome by the death traps, uh, but Weiss sacrifices himself and destroys uh, the command console. Uh, he dies in the attempt, um, and this ruins Cornelius Webb's uh, both his experiment and his hypothesis that. I guess his hypothesis was that scared people would turn on each other. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he's so shocked by this that it basically shatters his mind. It leaves him l- lying in the rubble for the cops as Rick sulks off. And the last shot of the book is Jacob Weiss's forearm with his camp tattoo showing. Um, and yeah, it's like, that's heavy. That's super heavy. Uh, yeah. Roy and Gil. Um, I do think it's very funny that this, he's like, I was going to prove that when people are afraid, they will turn on each other. It's like, don't have to. Done. Don't, we know yeah. it. Like, we saw it. We don't have to do it. You know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much any time ever in oh, history. Yeah. 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 Focus also, on what yeah. you're best at, which is creating luxury housing. Like, <laughs> and death traps, apparently. Like, how much did he spend on, on these luxury towers and death traps? And and how much was he expecting to make off of this book that was yeah. going to allow him to recoup his investment? Yeah. I don't the the business side of this does not make sense to me. Yeah. Did he have like holographic rats or was that just a induced like gas induced? Um, we'll, we'll never know. All right. That's a good question. Yeah, cuz his mind shattered and and there there with with it went all his secrets, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe we could better the race if that's what he says the betterment of the race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is also a, a keyword. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's it's by the end it's really it it goes from being you're like, huh? The first time Weiss shows up to like, oh, I get it. By the end, it's, yeah. it gets, and, uh, but I, I have to say, like, I still, the more, the more we talk about the issue, the more I kind of admire it for, for having that, that urgency to tell that message at a time when yeah. it was still, you know, this is less than 15 years after, no, this is less than 25 years. This is after, after World War II ended. So it's like the, it's when you would have, young people would have no, personal memory of it but it's not so long ago that it feels like ancient history you know mm-hmm. and yeah. there's some there's uh his figure work in this captain marvel is almost never not in pain or torment in some yep. way and is so, the way i was talking about gene cullen before where it's like like el greco figures like there's a lot of that here where it looks like, like it looks like he's just pushing captain marvel 
to his limits, both physically and emotionally. Like mm-hmm. there's this, like it's like I wouldn't be surprised if he was he had gone completely mad by the end of the issue, Captain Marvel. <laughs> but like, um, it's just it really it it's just a very strange mix. But there's a lot of like very striking imagery in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. not yep. the animals, obviously, but. He loves Gil, Gil Kane always loves to show the he, uh, Captain Marvel appearing from below, so you'd see more of his like abs and his chin than you do of his face, which is always mm-hmm. interesting. To, I mean, but Gil Kane always wants to show you the inside of somebody's nose. That's always the funniest thing <laughs> yeah. about him to me. <laughs> Put the camera on the floor. He spent years <laughs> studying it. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, and you can imagine, you know. A, Captain Marvel needs a, a little bit of a break after this issue. Uh, it, it's 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 a lot. So yeah, he takes a six month hiatus um, and then uh, comes back for a few issues and then goes on a much longer hiatus. So it would be so funny if there was like a um, oh why am I forget a Fred Hembeck comics like one page afterwards that's him be that Captain Marvel walking into Stan's office being like Stan after that one I gotta take a break <laughs> all right well uh, can I, I'll give you a month off more Stan I need six months off all right all right and Captain Marvel has like those swirly knees that Hembeck draws and everything oh, oh man that's great we should we should ask we should commission that for uh, from, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah Right. Well, that's our uh, that's our comics for the month. And now uh, we will wrap this up with a couple recommendations for other comics you could read that are not Marvel Comics from September 1969. I will go first. Um, uh, and the first thing I have to recommend, uh, I have to second, actually, Elliot's recommendation of Kaiju Max that by Xander Cannon uh, from uh, Elliot's last appearance on the show. It is phenomenal. I get the Big oversized hardcovers um, uh, published by Portland's own Oni Press. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a delightful book and so much deeper uh, and, and more intense than it appears to be at first glance. Like there's some real rich storytelling and characterization in this thing. So, yeah, um, great job, Xander. And then uh, the other thing I wanted to recommend, uh, something I read recently, um, it was uh, Marvel's 2016 series Scarlet Witch. Uh, which was written by James Robinson, um, and each issue was illustrated by a different artist. Uh, it was recently collected into a trade, um, and uh, Robinson just, uh, his Starman is one of my favorite comics of all time. Um, he's just got real tremendous range as a writer uh, in the series. Um, most of these issues are just one-offs uh, that are very tonally distinct from each other. Um, they're complemented uh, by each artist's uh, individual art styles, and there's sort of like an overarching story about Wanda Maximoff is going to fix magic. I'm sure Marvel has already somehow retconned this or superseded it with something else because it's been, you know, five whole years. Uh, But I really enjoyed the exploration of Wanda's character um, and Robinson's attempt to put her back together um, and sort of recenter her in the universe uh, after, you know, decades of her just being used as a like a mentally unstable plot device. Um, uh, I've always liked that character a lot. Uh, I always thought she deserved better than she usually gets. Um, and I think Robinson did a, a pretty good job of, of trying to give it to her. So, yeah, it's a really good series if you haven't checked it out. I have to read even more. And Kaiju Max is on my order list. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so um, good. It's such a yes. it's such a good series. And I'm not just saying that because I recommended it before. Although I guess <laughs> I am because I liked it. <laughs> it's okay to still like what you liked. Yeah. Oh, great. Yep. Good. Okay. Phew. That's relief. It's still cool with the kids. Um, 
So uh, for me, as a nod to uh, to Elliot's comedic additions to the superhero universe, uh, I, I thought it would be a good time to remind everyone that The Tick isn't just a bunch of TV runs um, animated in live action, but was and is some of the finest parody of the tights-wearing crowd. Um, I just recently reread uh, a couple issues and was... Uh, I I think I watched the first cartoon of the animated series and then was like, wait, I think this really reflects the first issues of Chroma Tick. So Mm -hmm. uh, the Tick uh, started in just a little backstory for it. It started in 1986 as a newsletter mascot for New England Comics, which was a comic shop in Brockton, Massachusetts. Uh, The the Tick started his run as an actual comic in about uh, 1988, but didn't get wide notice until some collections started in uh, 1990 on. The book I'm recommending specifically is The Tick, The Naked City by Ben Edlund, which collected the chroma tick issues, which means just the color because they were black and white before that. Yep. Uh, one through six. So uh, the copy I have uh, came out in 96. There, there are too many hilarious send-ups to point them all out, but The Tick is both a simpler and more complicated character than you may think from the shows. Uh, I think heroes have reached a saturation point in popular culture now uh, that these jokes can finally land beyond the narrow niche of comic geeks. Um, and and now there's just, you know, they're so familiar with tropes from movies mm-hmm. and TV shows. Uh, so I feel like now's the time for the tick to break. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah fine. Uh, Give it another shot. The, the, just yeah. one more try. The tick was created by Ben Edlund, who went on to do work on a lot of different things in television, like, you know, Firefly, Angel, Dr. Horrible, Sing Along Blog, and Supernatural, to name a few. Mm-hmm. So check it out. Yeah. Uh, Elliot, what have you got to recommend? Uh, unfortunately, I have not had a lot of time to read comics recently but uh the as i it's, it's literally the times when i'm like mm, let me read the next issue of new mutants what's going on here rob Liefeld, what's going on? but the uh <laughs> the i mean uh a run that of books that i was thinking about recently that i feel like does not get the attention it deserves is Anne nascenti's run as writer on daredevil she was the writer on daredevil from number 238 to 291 uh, looking it up now, which was like, which was 1987 to 1991. And so she finished kind of right before I really started being a big Marvel fan. And I didn't get to experience it as it was happening. But mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of, I feel like Frank Miller's Daredevil run gets so much talk. And I feel like her run is the one that in my mind takes the baton from him and runs it in a de- direction that both makes natural sense, but is also her own very specific voice and vision and the book is at times all over the place uh there's some stories that are more successful than others but there's some really amazing stories in it and she takes daredevil in different places that um you wouldn't expect him to uh and really at times it is almost uh almost ridiculously bleak but then uh it will like save itself with hope at the last minute and (laughs) there's a storyline in it where by the end of the story Daredevil is dressed in Bullseye's costume and he is fighting Bullseye who is in Daredevil's costume and they have both kind of it's like um, the movie Persona they've kind of switched personalities except not completely and while I was reading it it was just like um it was uh it felt like the ultimate one of those stories that they're always trying to do where they're like the hero and the villain are two sides of the same coin you know <laughs> one could easily become the other and just reading uh, reading that story it just felt like she was pushing the 
like stretching that character in a, as far as she could in this very specific kind of like urban late eighties bleak crime, uh, like mm. hero whose mind is falling apart under the strains of, mm-hmm. of society, uh, vision. And, uh, I really, I just really enjoyed that, that run. And it, um, it's always, it, it always is, a like a, a surprise to me that it's just not talked about as a, as a daredevil run, considering like for a character that's been around for 60 years, like daredevil has long stretches of that, not much going on, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a really, if you like that character at all, uh, or even if you don't, you should still, <laughs> you should still try it if you haven't read it. It's just a, uh, a really, um, it's just a really like interesting run. And it's one of those runs that kind of each storyline will kind of like pick up speed and start moving faster and faster. And, and eventually daredevil is fighting Ultron and you're like, all right, okay, sure. Like I'll buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, man, I may not have read it since it was coming out, but I have Mm -hmm. very fond memories of, of that run of daredevil. So yeah, I got to go back and and check that out or I could just wait 20 years until we get to it. So, (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll be, you'll still be doing the show then, right? Yeah, I hope. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, oh man, my choice is to go get in the long boxes and yeah. uh, get things out of bags and read them, there you or go. buy them again, which I do all the time, or just wait till we cover it on the show <laughs> when we are very old men. Yeah, no, it, yeah. In Innocenti, I think, is also just generally a very un- underrated writer uh, of comics. Yes, um, and you know, I'd like to say. It's not because she's a woman, but I think it's because she's a woman. Uh, it's like she's a woman who was writing comics, like mainstream comics in the eighties, and I think she got undervalued. You know, as a result, I think Louise Simonson falls into the same pit yes. sometimes. Like, uh, just you know, folks who were doing really, really good work and just did not get the accolades that uh, that the dudes were getting. Uh, yeah, well, it's so. reading. You know, reading through these New Mutants books that I that I've been reading until when I when I had the time to stick them in, like. I kind of was kind of like pushing through the Claremont run to a mm-hmm. certain extent. And then once Louis Simonson takes over, it was like, oh, this book is is flying now in a way that mm-hmm. it was kind of like walking before. And yep. mm-hmm. yeah, writers who probably if they had not been women working in an you know, entirely male dominated industry where the fans at the time were, even if they weren't all male, the most vocal ones seems to seem to have been male. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least the ones who are most, maybe not the most vocal ones, but the ones most listened to by the by the men running the companies. I think they would have been, yeah, they would have had a had more opportunities to be writing like you know main books, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. But they but they really made the most out of the books that they had. They're really super talented writers, you know. For sure. Speaking of super talented writers, uh, Elliot, uh, one more pitch for uh, <laughs> I set, the, set up that segue. There for you go, you. perfectly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just you, me got... and Weezy Simonson and Anderson. <laughs> yep, I'm nowhere you... near as good as them. They're the best. <laughs> Well, you, you have uh, you got uh, Maniac in New York trade paperback coming out in October. Uh, yes. You also have a, uh, a live show coming up with the Flophouse, do you not? That's very true. Uh, my podcast, The Flophouse, as mentioned uh, earlier in the episode, it's a ostensibly a bad movie podcast, but uh, it's more of a three guys hanging out talking about nonsense podcast. Uh, as I say to people, it's uh, if you want to go, if you needed. 35 to 40 minutes of me as Tom Brokaw talking about Dune, then there's only one <laughs> podcast you can go to for it. Um, we're going to be doing a live remote over the computer show on September 25th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, 
we will be us talking about the movie Super Mario Brothers or Super Mario Brothers, as my wife is always correcting me because I say Mario and it annoys her. Um, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers, of course, starring Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo and Dennis Hopper. And um, it is we chose the movie uh, not even realizing that this year is the 28th anniversary of <laughs> wow. Super, Mar- Super Mario Brothers. Uh <laughs> So the um, we're going to be doing a live show over the computer. We're going to be – each live show we do PowerPoint presentations ahead of time on semi-related topics. Those PowerPoint presentations will never be performed again. Uh, they are one, one time only and they're very funny. Uh, we're going to be taking questions from the audience over Twitter and answering those. Uh, we might have some other things going on. We have to figure out what the show is. But the, <laughs> the best thing about it will be us uh, – Welcoming you to hang out with us uh, virtually uh, as we talk about the best Mario Brothers movie ever made. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. I think so. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, are there any others? No, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> you can go to the best way to get tickets. Uh, and I should mention, if you can't make it that night, if you buy a ticket, it gives you access to for one week to the recording of the show. So let's we have a number of fans who live in other time zones that make it difficult to be up and watching a show at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, if you buy a ticket, you will still get to see the show uh, at your leisure uh, for the next seven days after. Uh, it, the best way to, to do it is really just to look up Flophouse uh, Simple Ticks, I think it is. Oh, man, I always forget what it is. what it is. If you Google Flophouse Simple Ticks, T-I-X, Mario Brothers, you'll get it. It's the first thing that comes up because um, otherwise the the URL is simpleticks.com. I think slash E slash the dash flop dash house dash live dash super dash Mario dash brothers dash ticka dash tickets dash so seven six two oh two. So just Google simple ticks flop house super Mario brothers. And uh, we've done a couple of these shows before and they've always been uh, real fun and they always go long. So you'll get bang for your buck with this one for just $10, $10. That's one Alexander Hamilton. I, uh, I I tuned in for the Teen Wolf live show that you did a few months ago, um, and I don't think I had laughed that hard uh, for quite some time. Uh, it turned out to be exactly what I needed at that time. So I would say, uh, yeah, if uh, current events and such have you um, feeling a little down these days, uh, this is absolutely the cure. Um, I, I will make that guarantee. Y- or you're... even if you're up. Exactly. You know, maybe yeah. you if you want to get up. even upper. Yeah. yeah you want to stay yeah. up, then yeah. 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 <laughs> But uh, yeah, this uh, we we get a lot of uh, email from listeners talking about how the show kind of um, allows them to kind of laugh at times when they're having trouble laughing, and so that's if we can do that for anyone, then that's the best part of it. Uh, this the I mean, podcasting the the joy of it is in connecting with people that you otherwise never would have met and feeling like you've shared a moment that you would have never gotten to share otherwise. Uh, and so we hope that you will come and share that time and that moment with us uh as we talk about super mario brothers (laughs) (laughs) of all things so uh i haven't seen the movie i think since i saw it in the theaters so i'm excited to revisit it that i've certainly played the games all through my life so uh Mm -hmm. i'm wondering i have have such clear memories of that movie even though seeing it once and knowing that ended on a cliffhanger and being like what's gonna happen and then of course they never made another one so (laughs) we'll never find out we'll never know we'll never know what they needed to go back underground for but uh But yeah, that's that's so just go to go, go to search engine of your choice and type in Simple Ticks, Flophouse, Super Mario, and purchase your tickets today for September twenty fifth, two thousand twenty one AD. <laughs> Outstanding. 
uh, you can subscribe to our Patreon uh, for the fantastic price of four bucks a month at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month. Get exclusive content like an extended version of this episode that you're listening to. If you were listening to this on the public feed, uh, review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever you use to listen to us. Uh, if you'd like some free stuff in the mail, send us a screenshot of your five star review to Marvel by the month at gmail.com with your email address. Um, and we will uh, put something in the mail. Instagram's our main social channel, uh, and you can find us there at Marvel by the month. And marvelbythemonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. Uh, that is all for now. Uh, Elliot, Kalen, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank uh, this you. is so much fun. Oh, thank you. The fun was all mine. Uh, I, I always love being a guest. Uh, it's super fun. I hope I can join you again sometime in the future as both a, as both a listener and as a contributor. Uh, I get so much enjoyment and pleasure out of this podcast. So thank you very much for doing it and for letting me join you. Well, thank oh, you for saying that. Uh, yeah. And, uh, everyone out there, um, please take care of yourselves. Uh, get vaccinated. If you are not vaccinated, uh, wear a mask, even if you are, um, and above all, stay safe, stay healthy and stay inside and read comics. Yeah.